Welcome to the Neighborhood Church Podcast. We are so thankful that you are listening in. The Neighborhood Church is all about helping people find and follow Jesus. We hope that through these podcasts you are encouraged, that you're inspired, and that you're provided with practical wisdom on how to find and follow Jesus. We hope that you enjoy today's podcast. Well, thank you very much. Thank you, Pastor Wainwright and worship team. That was awesome. Thank you so much. Good evening. Good day. How's everyone? Uh, It's good to have people here in the the sanctuary today, and it's also good to have everyone online as well. And so just welcome, and uh, my name is Pastor Jordan, and uh, it's just great to be here. As we continue in our series through the book of Acts, which we've titled Unfinished. And so before I start, I'll just address that it is Super Bowl weekend, and uh, anyone who remembers me from last time knows I like football, and Somebody asked me who was going to win this week, and I said, well, you got to tune into the live stream, and I'll tell you who before I preach, okay? And so hopefully that person's tuned in today to listen, and um, I think the Bucks are going to win. I have, a, I have a feeling that, you know, that Todd Bowles D, just something about it, home game, we'll see what happens. But uh, let us know in the comments who you think is going to win. Let's not get into fights, okay? Let's be peaceful about it today. Otherwise, um, tonight we're going to continue in our series through the book of Acts, and I'm looking forward to it. And so... Let's start. In order to set up um, how this event would have been most unusual to those present in Acts chapter 2, that's the chapter we're going to be looking at today. So if you want to open your Bibles or get your phones out, that's where we're going to be. Let me begin just by sort of illustrating it in a way that I think will help us get our minds around what this would have been like for the original audience. And let me begin by talking about paradigm shifts. A paradigm, paradigm shifts are commonly referred to as a fundamental change in an individual's or in a society's view of how things work in the world. You see, it's a fundamental change in approach or underlying assumptions. And it occurs when a known and traditional way of thinking gets reversed and when it gets affected by new information or insight that's been brought to light. And so a paradigm shift is when something is just completely turned upside down for you. Something that you once believed, something that you once thought was very true, all of a sudden it looks very different now. Let me give you a few examples. At one point, people thought that the earth was flat, okay? And that it was possible that you could fall off of this place, all right? And the new information meant that you couldn't just, you know, sail in a ship somewhere and accidentally fall off the edge of the earth. And that the earth actually didn't end at the horizon as a lot of people once assumed. It may seem simple to us, may seem obvious to us, but it really was mind-blowing information to the people of the time. And it fundamentally changed how we've come to see life on this planet. Another example I can give you is how we cover breaking news and events. You see, at one point, even before the printing press, things got around by word of mouth. And then when the printing press came, sometimes you'd luck out and get paper in your hands to find out breaking news and breaking information. Well, now you just need to go on social media, right? You just need to open up Facebook, open up Instagram, and and someone's going to tell you something before you even had a chance to see it on our news outlet. And and usually with a slant, too, or a little commentary, if I could say it like that, attached to it. But, you know, the way we collect, the way we gather news now from how they did it, you know, years and years and years ago is, is a paradigm shift. It's different. 
Think about bottled water. This is the one that was always interesting to me as a kid. I remember I was probably 11 years old when I first saw bottled water being sold. Um, it was a resource in our society that we can count on from getting from a tap or from the well. And it was a big business breakthrough when people realized that people will actually pay money for this stuff in a bottle. And we can sell it filtered. And it's now a multi-billion dollar industry. But this was a paradigm shift. This was a different way of thinking that we could actually bottle this stuff up. And people are still going to pay money for it, even if they have access to it. And in many places, very clean access. You see, I think personally, we all experience paradigm shifts from time to time. COVID-19 pandemic, anyone? We all experience paradigm shifts from time to time. You know, we sometimes sit here in the middle of this pandemic and just wonder what it was like to be in a room with friends. Well, this is kind of like it, but we'd normally be sitting closer together without masks, right? Um, you know, you, you, you kind of wonder, you, you can't wait for that moment where you don't feel so paranoid when you accidentally cough in the bookstore, right? And uh, you got like 10 eyes looking at you, judging you, like, are you okay? Are you, are you doing all right? Um, these are paradigm shifts. These are different times that we're living in. It's, it's something that we've never experienced before, and there's a new way of thinking. And so all joking aside, paradigm shifts can deeply affect us and cause us to embrace or reject something depending on what's at stake. And so we often prefer what's comfortable and familiar and things the way that we're used to them being. Anyone like familiar? Anyone routine here? Anyone like that, you know, the idea where you just expect things to be a certain way? And when something so radically shifts, it can sometimes leave us in a state where we either embrace it or we ultimately end up rejecting it. And so I say all that to say that when Jesus lived and carried on his earthly ministry, his ministry and teaching was full of paradigm shifts everywhere you looked, especially to religious people. And he offended them, and he angered them, and he frustrated them. And in, in, in some ways, he just outraged them throughout times. And what we're about to see in Acts chapter 2, as we look at it tonight, is another shift, if I can say it like that, that would change the course of history and that would launch the church into the world on a new mission. And so Acts chapter 2, verse 1, let's read. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place, and suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared on, and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. And when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running. And they were bewildered to hear their own language being spoken by the believers. And they were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee. And yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya and around Cyrene, 
Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Jerusalem, Cretans and Arabs. And all we hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. And they stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk. That's all. Let's stop there. You see, what an amazing experience this must have been for people in the crowd that day. You agree with me? What an amazing experience this must have been. And there was you know, all sorts of stuff happening there. There was a windstorm, it said. There was a roar. There was fire. There were these tongues of fire that came to rest on each of them. And they were speaking, and they were being understood in other languages, languages that they themselves didn't know and that other people understand, understood to be theirs. And the Holy Spirit had shown up in this place in a powerful, powerful way. But let's back up this evening. And let's look some of the, at some of the background of what this means and what's all happening here. I think some of the background can help us understand a little bit of what God is trying to communicate through this passage. You see, anyone who's grown up in the Pentecostal church at all is expecting me tonight, like a good Pentecostal preacher, to preach on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to address some of that. But we have plenty of opportunities to look at that throughout the book of Acts. But tonight, I want us just to look deep into this story and also glean what else is it that God might be saying to us here. And so let's look. And so what was Pentecost? Good question. For a first century Jew, Pentecost was the 50th day after Passover. It was an agricultural festival. It was the day when the farmers brought the first fruits of the crop before God as an offering and as a sign of gratitude. They brought it to before God as a sign of gratitude, but also they kind of wanted to make sure that the rest of the crop was going to turn out good too. So it was a, you know, this way to ensure future success for the crop, right? But for the Jewish person, neither Passover nor Pentecost were simply agricultural festivals, but they both brought to mind all that God had done for them in the past. And in the story of the exodus from Egypt, where God fulfilled his promises to Abraham by rescuing his people. And then 50 days after Passover, after being led across the Red Sea, they came to Mount Sinai, where from Moses they received the law. Sorry, where Moses received the law. And so we see a parallel here between then and now in the scriptures. And this is something that we see throughout scripture quite often. And God often speaks in ways that people are familiar with and in ways in which people could understand. And so just as 50 days after Passover, where Moses received the law on tablets to signify a new way of life for his people, a new way in which they would serve God, a new way in which they would live, so in the same way, Pentecost, the 50th day, isn't just about the first fruits of the crops, but rather it's about God giving to his people, his redeemed people, a whole new way of life here, by which they must now carry out his purposes. See, in the same way that Moses went up to the mountain and then came down with the tablets of the law, a new way of living written on stone 
here in Acts 2 at Pentecost, we see that Jesus also, Jesus ascended into heaven. And Luke wants us to understand that he is now coming down again, not with a written law carved on tablets of stone, but with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to his people, not written on stone, but rather on human hearts. And people familiar with the first story would have made some connections here. And so it is from this understanding that God is making it clear that this is a whole new way of living. That something has shifted, like a paradigm shift, if I could say it like that. What worked before was good then, but now God has baptized and filled his followers with the Holy Spirit, and nothing would ever be the same again. 50 days after Exodus, 50 days after Passover. See, if you were trying to communicate something so important to people, something that was game-changing, paradigm-shifting to a group of people, you would do your best to communicate to them in ways in which they could understand. And this has been a great criticism, actually, of missionaries in the church many, over many years and many years ago who, with good intentions, found themselves in different nations and rather than learn the people's language and learn the customs and learn the cultures of the people in whom they wanted to serve... They instead tried to communicate to them in Canadian or American or, or other cultural ways, thus not honoring their culture, but insisting that to follow God, they also become like us and our thinking and our Canadian ways, if you will. You see, Pentecost breaks down those barriers. Pentecost points us to a new humanity and a new way where Jesus isn't simply only looking after one nation and one people but that his love and grace is available to all nations and to all people. And I'm not sure if we can fully appreciate how much of a paradigm shift this was for the people at this time. People who thought, you know, God was for us and that God is on our nation's side only. God will destroy our enemies God will put our nation in a place of prominence. And yet the Holy Spirit was about to break through what was great disunity and bring unity to those whom he calls. And so what does this story tell us about the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Well, let's look at a few points today. The first point I want to look at is this, is that the Holy Spirit brings unity to our disunity. The Holy Spirit brings unity to our disunity. On the day of Pentecost, we do, we do not see the further fracturing of humanity into endless divides. But rather we see that many diverse languages and peoples from the ends of the earth who are being called to respond to the unity that is offered in Jesus. That's what we're seeing happening here. You see, so much about the spiritual, social, and cultural realities of the ancient world would often produce a separation. What do I mean by that? Well, the ancient world was one of tribalism and territory and temple and Torah and traditions. All of these worldviews often created a separation between who's in and who is out. A separation that looks kind of like this, us versus them. 
Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female. We hear this language so often in the letters of the New Testament because they were very real realities that the world was divided between who we are and between who you are. And so there, there was this disunity that was just very present in society. And so you look through the list of the things I brought up. Tribalism taught you to see those who were ethnically like you as your own. Territory gave you boundaries of place. Temples gave you the boundaries of who could be welcome to worship. Like in the temple in Jerusalem, there was literally a wall that separated Gentile worshipers from Jewish worshipers. Torah and tradition gave you practices that separated you from those on the outside. For example, eating kosher told you what was unclean, and therefore you'd make the association of who was unclean. And in this context of a fractured and divided world, you might get the impression that God is the God of Hebrew-speaking people only. And that was never the intent you might think that the call to go to the ends of the earth means to make everyone look the same as you. But Pentecost is the beginning of the end of our divided humanity. You see, Pentecost is the beginning of another way. A way that would cause us to see that God's kingdom isn't just for one nation or a certain type of people or for good people. But that the kingdom was welcoming to all people. As they spoke in tongues and people heard the message in their own language. In fact, we see early in the books of Acts that this kind of attitude and thinking still prevailed. Even after all that Jesus had done. You see, the disciples were still concerned about Israel getting its promised place. Acts chapter 1 and verse 6 says this. Early on, Jesus is instructing them. He's telling them to wait. And it says this. It says, then they gathered around him. And asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And they are, to put it nicely here, missing the point of what Jesus was trying to do. They're still thinking in terms of power and earthly splendor. What they're really asking Jesus here is, will you knock the Roman Empire out of power? <laughs> will you lift us up so that we can rule over them? Uh, do we collect our due now is kind of what they're saying. What do we get out of this deal of being your apostles? Will we get appointed now to some important role or some important position in this new kingdom that you're establishing? Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And yet this was not about the elevation of one nation, but rather Jesus had everyone in mind. And the gospel wasn't something a country or culture could, could own at the expense of everyone missing out. But this was Jesus' plan to reach the world. You see, early in the scriptures, we read about people coming together who speak one language. And they're trying to build a tower so that they can be famous. And the Tower of Babel, it is referred to. And... As this was happening, God interrupted their plans. And we read about it in Genesis chapter 11, um, in verse 5 to 8. But the Lord came down to the city and tower they were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. 
Come, let us go down and confuse their languages so that they will not understand each other. And so the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. And so looking at that portion of scripture very early in the biblical text, if the moment at the Tower of Babel separated them, then Pentecost was going to bring them together. You see, this story also signaled the breaking of barriers that have separated the human race since Babel with the formation of a new humanity in Christ. Pentecost reversed what happened at Babel. What is new here is that from now on, people would not need to come back to some central place to worship God and in the same Hebrew tongue. Rather, they can go to the far corners of the earth and worship God in their own languages. Moreover, people no longer need to build up to the heavens in search of significance they lost when they were thrown under the Garden of Eden. But God has now sent his spirit down to us and lifted our experience to a new level of significance. You see, Jesus' plan to reach the world was not to make everybody Jewish and speak one language. But his plan recognizes and affirms that our diversity is important. And God is fulfilling his promise right here in our midst in Acts chapter 2. The, pr- the very promise that he made to Abraham in his covenant with God. In Genesis 12.3, here's what he said. He said to Abraham, and all people on earth will be blessed through you. And then Abraham goes through all sorts of tests and all sorts of obedience And in Genesis 22, 18, we read this again, the reaffirmation of it. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. And so this is literally God's covenant to Abraham coming to fruition. His promise that he and his descendants would be a blessing to all people and to all nations. You see... Jesus is now a new start for Israel and the rest of the world. Jesus is revealing mercy, not for one nation, but mercy for all nations. Not simply for one person, but for all people. And we dare not ever develop ideas that we're somewhat special or somehow above others because of where we came from or our social status or our country of origin. But the gospel is a call to embrace humility and to recognize that we are all invited and included in the kingdom of God. Next point I want to make about the Holy Spirit's work in Acts chapter 2 is just this, is that the Holy Spirit empowers us to witness. The Holy Spirit empowers us to speak about the love of God that we've experienced, to ensure that other people hear the gospel. You see, Pentecost signaled that we believers have a new power for ministry, and that is power to proclaim the gospel. In verse 14, Peter steps forward and starts talking, and he begins to share the gospel with those who are present. And immediately following, being filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues, at the heart of the power of Pentecost and Acts is a power for ministry. Pastor John read it last week in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. It said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. 
and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see, the reason why the Holy Spirit was poured out was to empower ministry. The Holy Spirit wasn't just given to them so that they could simply have an experience. As amazing as this event was, the Spirit was going to empower them so they can go out into all the world, all of it, and share the gospel with other people. I like how one commentator phrased it all in my, in my study this past week as I was looking at this about the role of evangelism in the life of a Christian, in the life of the church. He said this, he said, if we forget to share the gospel, then we have lost sight of the thrust of biblical Christianity. If we forget to share the gospel, then we have lost sight of the thrust of biblical Christianity because sharing the gospel was never just thrown in as something optional or something extra in following Jesus. But it's something that we must share. It's something that we must speak of. It's something that we must live. If the gospel has changed your life, then of course you're going to want other people to have that same experience that you had. Because the message of Jesus is for everyone. And Paul hasn't lost sight of this. In fact, it drives him here. It is of most importance. And I think sometimes for us in our culture, we can shy away from sharing the gospel in our culture. And I think there's many reasons why we do this. Perhaps we're afraid to say the wrong thing. You ever been there? Perhaps you're afraid to offend someone. Perhaps um, we haven't thought uh, purposely about how we could share the message with specific people in ways in which they can understand and like find some common ground in doing that. Maybe we're afraid that people won't want to hear it. And so we shy away thinking, well, we can't change people. We can't change their opinions. We can't change their perspectives. And so we stay away. And that's actually, for the most part, actually true. We cannot change people. <laughs> but Jesus can. And that's something I think that we need to remember, that when sharing the message with people, that we are not responsible for the results. Okay? We're not responsible for the results. We're simply responsible to be faithful in sharing the gospel. We're simply responsible to be sharing Jesus with people, but the results aren't on us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 7, we read this, So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. And so each of us who follows Jesus have a role to play here. And sometimes I think we act like the results are something that we determine or make happen. And I want to remind you today that as you share the gospel, as you plant and as you water, if a person is to experience genuine change and growth, then that's not on you. But God's in charge of that. That's his work. That's not my work. That's not your work. And so don't stress yourself out thinking that you ever have to change someone. I think some of us approach evangelism thinking, well, there's no way I'm going to be able to change someone. Well, you're probably right. God's got that under control. Our job is to simply be faithful in sharing the message. 
And so if you're worried about a person's response, I hope this helps you. I hope this kind of thinking can help you take some pressure off. We're responsible to simply be faithful and share. Have you ever tried to accomplish something that you weren't qualified or equipped to do? Anyone? All right. You know, you're never going to see me underneath a vehicle trying to fix things anytime soon. That's just not who I am. I don't, believe it or not, I know people close to me are just mind blown by this. But you're never going to see me doing mechanics. You're never going to see me, you know, trying to fix a car because I'm not qualified to do so. You know, anytime someone comes up to me and says something mechanical, I go, yeah, what was that again? Explain it to me a little deeper. You know, everyone says it a little differently because I don't know. I'm unqualified. I don't get it. I can't do it. See? Have you ever tried to accomplish something that you were unqualified or unequipped to do? I've been there before, and it's a tough place to be. It's stressful. It's tiresome. You probably quit before you even start. And Jesus church has not asked us to transform people. He will do that. But our job is to go out and live and share the words of the gospel with others. And I purposely add, use words there. You see, there's an old saying that I think I've quoted before as a preacher. And it's simply this. It says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And if necessary, use words. Anyone ever heard this before? Okay, I've shared it before, and I've shared it before saying that it was said by St. Francis of Assisi. Now, it's been given credit to him before time and time and time again, and here's a confession of me here, okay? The only problem with this church is that there's no record of him ever actually saying these words, okay? I've looked into it. I've, I went to study it. I went to find it. I've asked around. I've seen articles written about this. There's actually no record that he ever actually said this. That's kind of awkward when you think about it, when you're giving him credit for it. Now, don't get me wrong. I like the idea. I actually like the idea. I get the sentiment. Live in such a way that people will see something different and loving about your lifestyle. Amen. I get that. Do it. But eventually, we have to get to a point where we use words where we share the gospel with others, living in such a way that people would see Jesus is amazing, but eventually we also need to witness and speak about the grace that we've experienced in our lives. What Jesus did for you, what he did for me, is so worth talking about. And we have to do it. You see, the thrust of biblical Christianity is to share the gospel because the message of Jesus is for everyone. Finally, the Holy Spirit. What's another thing the Holy Spirit does? Well, I believe the Holy Spirit changes our lives. Pentecost made religion into much more of a personal experience with Jesus through the Holy Spirit than it ever was before. You see, the Holy Spirit took a bunch of disciples who were timid, who were afraid, who literally fled Jesus at his darkest hour. And all of a sudden, after they received the Holy Spirit, there's this fruit in their lives. There's something totally different going on. There's this boldness. They're kind of going out and they're, they're serving and they're ministering. Let's use Peter as an example. You know, think about Peter's life before this event happened. This is a guy who constantly got ahead of himself, who denied Jesus three times, who fled in Jesus' time of need. And I'm not saying any of that to knock him, because let's just be serious. We wouldn't have done any better. Let's not deceive ourselves on that. 
But all of a sudden, Peter is filled and baptized in the Holy Spirit along with the crowds, and they speak in other tongues. And he's no longer scared, and he's no longer running, and he's no longer intimidated, but it's almost as if he received a different kind of power in his life. That's what the scriptures say anyways. And he quotes from the prophet Joel, if you keep reading in Acts chapter 2, he quotes from the prophet Joel and declares that it is literally being fulfilled in their midst right now in this story. And he's going to quote words from King David about what the Messiah would look like. And we read Acts chapter 2 and verse 14. We read, Then Peter stepped forward with the eleven other apostles and shouted to the crowds, Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk as some of you are assuming. That's where we kind of left the story off, right? Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that, he says, right? And he's bold. And he's about to be Jesus' witness. And he starts to preach and he starts to talk about Jesus and the scriptures. I like how it says that. Peter stepped forward. There was something different about his disposition in this moment than there was before. The NAV says he stood up. The NASB says he took a stand here. He's a different person because we see the effects of the Holy Spirit in his life. And he was changed. And he begins to quote the prophet Joel. And then the words of David that prophesied about the coming Messiah. And he begins to declare what God has done for us in Jesus to the large crowd that was present that day. And if you, if you give this a read, you're actually going to see that he covered a lot of theology. He covered a lot of bases in his, in, in his discussion here. Between verses 22 and 36 of Acts chapter 2, and I invite you to read them yourself, or I invite you to read them with your neighborhood group uh, this week. Um, there'll be some questions on this. But Peter declares many things, including talking about Jesus' incarnation in his coming to the earth. He discusses his ministry. He talks about his death on the cross. He talks about resurrection at, at, to achieve salvation for us. His, his exaltation. He talks about sending the Holy Spirit. He talks about the second coming and our need for him and our dependence on him. Peter's preaching includes all of these things being declared as truth. And I think this is key for us because each of us needs him. Each of us is dependent on God for everything. And so this is why scripture tells us to humble ourselves before God. Because we recognize that on our own we have little to offer. None of us is in the family of God because of anything that we did on our own. And yet when we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, which is available to all who believe, we can minister knowing that we have a role to play and that God will do the life-changing in the lives of those around us. You see, the Holy Spirit gave Peter boldness. The Holy Spirit we see from the story can be experienced. The Holy Spirit is available to all who know Jesus. It is because of the empowerment of the Spirit in Peter's life that he even stands up, I believe, and addresses the crowd here as a, kind of a different person. And the Spirit also empowers us, church. Not just so we can have good services, need experiences or fun times at an altar, all good things in their own place. But we're empowered for ministry. And that is to let the world around us know that Jesus loves them. And so no matter what you believe about the Holy Spirit, the first thing you need to know is that the Spirit empowers you to tell others about Jesus. 
above any gift or experience or act of worship. God has empowered you by the Spirit so that you can tell the world about him. And so when was the last time you did that? When was the last time we did that? And I guess a follow-up question to that is, is who in your life needs to hear it? Who in your life needs to hear it? When was the last time you talked to someone about all that Jesus had done in your life? As I said earlier, I think it's easy for us to get timid when we think we have to change people. And sometimes even just talking for some of us can can be a challenge when sharing our faith. But here is our hope today, church. We have been empowered to do it. Not of ourselves, not of our own efforts, not of our own strength, but of the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we've been talking about. And that's what we see happening in these first couple books and chapters, sorry, in the book of Acts. Jesus has saved us so that we can go out and share his love with others. Saved people always love and serve others around them. And so how can we go out into our world and live this message and share this message with others? Because in the end, at the end of the day, the call to be a blessing is as important as the call to receive the blessing in our own lives. It is part of our identity as followers of Jesus and truly is at the heart of who Jesus asked us to be. This is what God has commissioned us to. You see, before you're Canadian, before you're American, insert any other nationality here, before you're any of that, you are first and foremost a witness empowered by the Holy Spirit. Before you're a carpenter, before you're a professor, before you're a preacher, you are first and foremost a witness to the grace and love of Jesus and empowered by his Holy Spirit to do so. Ask the worship team to come up. Above anything else, we are his witnesses, church. We are his ambassadors. As the Apostle Paul says, we're his representatives in the world. And this is what the Holy Spirit has empowered us for. And so I don't know about you, but when I enter into that narrative, when I frame it that way, it kind of reframes everything for me. It brings meaning, and it brings light to everything. It not only gives purpose, but it places what's most important in its proper perspective, that the gospel message has reached us and changed us. And just as important, other people around us need to experience it as well. Amen? Other people around us need to experience and know it as well. And so here's how I'm going to leave this tonight. Perhaps this week's an opportunity for you to step forward and share the love of God with someone. And if you're willing to take that on, here's a practical take-home for us today. Ask God to put on your heart one person whom you suspect is a non-believer who doesn't know the love of Jesus at this point in their life. And start to pray for them. Not as a final step, but as a beginning step, because you have to start somewhere. And start to pray for that person. And pray also for wisdom. And pray for God's help as you speak and knowing that he has empowered you. Ask him to reveal that to you. 
Pray for ways in which you can share the gospel message that is still changing your life today with them. And then go out and step forward and represent and make a difference. The same gospel, friends, that changed our lives, others need to experience as well. And we have received power by the Holy Spirit to go out into the world and do so. Amen? Amen. I'm going to leave that with you tonight. God bless. Let's continue to worship as Pastor Ethan leads us. Welcome to the Neighborhood Church Podcast. We are so thankful that you are listening in. The Neighborhood Church is all about helping people find and follow Jesus. We hope that through these podcasts you are encouraged, that you're inspired, and that you're provided with practical wisdom on how to find and follow Jesus. We hope that you enjoyed today's podcast.